أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد باب صفة العمل في الصلاة المفروضة وما يتصل بها من النوافل والسنن the chapter regarding the description of the fard or the obligatory prayer and uh, those uh, ancillary issues that are connected to uh, uh, to that method with regards to the the uh, uh, extra what they call supererogatory or extra prayers and the sunnah prayers uh, and so before we start this i want you to appreciate a couple of things one is that the the, the the order of the book is like a rational order obviously we didn't start the book from the beginning but this is one of the hallmarks of the, the books of our tradition is that they're laid out in rational order. So the first issue is what? So you should be a Muslim. That's why the first chapter of this book is Aqidah. Uh, then thereafter, uh, a person must re- enter into ritual purity in order to be able to pray. Uh, and once they're in ritual purity, the prayer is not obligatory until the time comes in. That's why we talked about first the the prayer times, and then we talked about the adhan and the iqamah because they come before chronologically before the salat, and now we're going to talk about the salat. One interesting thing is that the the you know in line with this this concept of you know writing the book in rational order, the muatta of Imam Malik itself, Imam Malik's uh, uh, book of uh, uh, of uh, of uh, collection of hadith pertaining to the issues of fiqh, the muatta of Imam Malik itself. Actually, the first chapter of the muatta is interesting. The first chapter of the muatta is about the the, the uh, prayer times. Why? Because in that conception, the wudu and the, the ghusl and the ritual purity is not wajib on a person until the prayer has come in. But the point of mentioning this is that the, the ulama and the mashayikh, even from the time of the salaf, from very early, Malik rahimullah ta'ala is a student of the students of the sahaba. He's a student of the children of the sahaba radiallahu anhum. Even from that time, uh, and the Muatta is really the first famous book after the Quran. It's the first famous book that was compiled, pa- compiled in the Ummah and still survives to this day. There may be, have been other books that were compiled, but they're not really, like they become subsumed into other works. But the Muatta is a, is, is a very early work. After the Quran, it's like the earliest work. Uh, and are, you know, already at that time, um, they're thinking about things in rational order. And this is not a, an innovation of theirs. Rather, it's because this is the, the teachings of Nabuwa are... Intuitively, they, 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 they're like that. So you see, um, you know, even from the first revelation, right? that the, the, the command to purify yourself precedes the command of prayer. Uh, um, and so this is, a, this is a, like a hallmark of our tradition, looking, looking at things through a rational lens. If the questions are clarifying, then I'll take them now. If they're like just... Like on top of the material we're talking about, then we'll have time for them at the end, inshallah. Is that is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Is it clarifying question? That was about prayer, but it can wait. Inshallah. Barakallah fikum. Well, ihramu fi salati and taqul Allahu akbar, wala yujzi'u ghayru hadhihi al-kalimati. That the 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 beginning of the salat uh, is known as the takbiratul ihram or the takbiratul tahrim. So haram means what? Haram means impermissible, like in whatever general parlance, right? Uh, 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 but the, the actual like meaning of haram is something that's dhu hurma, something that's sacred. So the idea is the reason we say things are that are impermissible are haram in that sense is that it, it is like a sacred uh, thing that Allah has forbidden you from touching. 
or a boundary that Allah has forbidden you from crossing. Otherwise, the word haram in and of itself, in its most basic meaning, doesn't have to, it doesn't mean something illicit. It just means a boundary that shouldn't be crossed. Uh, otherwise, it would make no sense for the Masjid al-Haram to be Masjid al-Haram because it's obviously not impermissible. But it's sacred. That's why it's called that, right? So the beginning of the prayer is with what they call the takbiratul ihram, which literally translates to like the Allahu Akbar of sanctification. That when you say Allahu Akbar, the prayer starts, and it's like a boundary between what's not the prayer and what's the prayer. And it is a. Uh, it's considered to be. It's considered to be a, a rukun of the of the salat, meaning it's a it's an integral part of the salat. If you don't say it, the salat is not valid. Um, and there are things before the takbiratul ihram that uh, are permissible. For example, eating and drinking, or speaking to somebody, or moving around, looking left and right, or whatever. These things are permissible in the Sharia. Once you say that Allahu Akbar, all of these things become haram. Uh, and so, this is one of the things that that, that the ulama mentioned is that the the prayer is like an apex uh, apex act of worship. So all of those things that are impermissible in another act of worship, like say, for example, in fasting, anything that will break your fast, it will also break your prayer. If you eat, drink, whatever, all of those things. So the takbiratul ihram is, is like for the salat, what putting on the ihram in hajj is for hajj. That it, it, it kind of narrows the focus of what you're allowed to do until that, uh, that salat is discharged. Yes? What about how there's things that are like recommended and advised against? Like they say, don't eat garlic because the malayaka wouldn't like So it. if you have like ancillary questions that are not relevant exactly to what we're talking about, we'll have time at the end, inshallah, for that. I was just wondering why there's things that are haram and halal, but then things that are in between. Can we get to it at the end? Otherwise, because what, hap- what happens is if you open the questions up like outside of the topic, then there's never gets the never, there's never gets finished. Mashallah, the cascade of questions is like it's endless. Uh, I apologize. Inshallah, we'll get we'll make time for it. Uh, so this first issue is an issue that uh, uh, is mentioned in the different books of the different madhahib that a person has to say Allahu Akbar. So the fatwa of Malik rahimahullah ta'ala is that you have to say Allahu Akbar and no other expression will suffice. If you say Allahu Kabir, Allah is great. Uh, Akbar is the, specifically the, the, the superlative form uh, or uh, the comparative form at any rate. Um, if you say in a different form the same word, but in a different in a different uh, wazan, in a different uh, pattern. Or if you, for example, say a different word that has the same meaning, but it has a different root, like Allahu A'zam, Allah is like the greatest, but like using a different, a slightly different expression, it doesn't count. So this is the this is the fatwa of Malik that you can only say Allahu Akbar. On the extreme other side, which Shaykh Musa is, mashallah, he's a little busy today. He said he'll try to make it to the tail end of class, but. Um, it would have been interesting for him to be here. On the extreme, the other extreme, what do we have? We have the Hanafi madhab, which not only allows other equivalent expressions that mean similar things, but, uh, uh, but, but he even allows that a person who is, for example, a new Muslim and, and not versed in things, that he can say the, the ihram in, the, in his own language. In fact, there is uh, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, tabarak wa ta'ala, makes uh, some, he makes some, uh, um, uh, riaya or some uh, like uh, wiggle room or space for a person even to say the entire salat in their own language if they're not able to learn how to say the salat in Arabic or until they're able to learn the salat in Arabic. So for the first couple of days, the f- nobody from the fuqaha says that you don't have to pray. 
Um, but like a person's like, well, I don't know, how, you know not everyone's going to be able to do the Fatiha and Atahiyatu Lillahi and Sami'Allahu Liman Hamidah. You don't remember that stuff like right off the bat, right? So Abu Hanifa rahimahullah ta'ala, he made the, he made the, uh, uh, the, the dispensation for uh, an A'jami, for a non-Arab, that not only the Takbiratul Ihram can be said in a different language, but in fact the entire Salat can be said in, in a different language. Only until, only until a person is able to learn the Salat in Arabic. So it cannot go on indefinitely. You cannot have like in Pakistan, people are praying in Urdu and Turkey. They're praying in Turkish and Indonesian. They're praying in Indonesia. It doesn't, you can't, you can't do that. But there is for, the, for that first amount of time when a person is a Muslim. Or sometimes this happens as well. There are people who become, they accept Islam because they read a newspaper article. And they live in like Bolivia. You know what I mean? Before the internet. That person, you know, for them it may be permissible for some time. And, um, you know, there are proofs on both sides. Like if a person were to say, well, that's completely invalid. That's the fatwa of Malik and it's a fatwa really of, of, of the other, the other madhahib other than Abu Hanifa. And the proof is, is very clear that nobody ever prayed the salat in other than Arabic. I, I see you, inshallah, I'll get to you. Nobody prayed the salat in other than Arabic ever. And, uh, um, and... The acts of worship, there's like ijtihad is not allowed in them. You just, the acts of worship, the law with regards to the acts of worship as opposed to transactions and other things is that, uh, that the acts of worship are done in a set form and anything other than them is haram. You can't really like make up your own, your own thing when, as you go along. But the, the, the point that Abu Hanifa is making, rahimahullah tabaraka wa ta'ala, again, I don't follow his madhab, but I appreciate that there's some, some, some basis to the point. The point is, is that the physical words of the Arabic language are not what makes the Salat the Salat. Rather, the physical words, the physical postures, the, the, the movement from, from, from position to position, the facing, physical facing of the Qibla, that's not, that's, those are just like a prelude to what the actual Salat is. The Salat is what? It's a faith. It's a reception of, of nur that comes from Allah Ta'ala onto the heart. And aid from Allah Ta'ala that comes into a person's body and into their spirit at certain appointed times uh, of the day uh, that a person receives. And in that sense, the person who prays in even in a different language or the person who prays and they don't know what direction the Qibla is. So they face a direction and they still don't like the direction happens to be wrong. Um, that person will still receive part of that nur. Even though it's a violation of the sacred law, it's a violation of the, uh, of the Sharia to do it in a way other than the, the, the way the Prophet ﷺ did. Just like, for example, if the masjid has a dinner, right? It's not right for you to like cut in line. You should wait in line for your turn. You should put the, the food in a plate instead of taking it inside of your hand. There's like a number of, of, of things like that. But if a person violated those rules, they'll still eat, right? And so, uh, you know, uh, there are very exceptional cases. They're exceptional. They're not the rule. They're exceptional cases. What if someone is starving to death and there's no more plates left? Then if that person were to grab a samosa and just eat it with their hand in order to stay alive, nobody would think it's unreasonable. So as an exception, Abu Hanifa, his fatwa recognizes that the, the haqiqah, the reality, the inner reality of the salat is something that's completely spiritual. And the, the, the physical trappings that come with it, they aid in, in a person's reception of that, of that spiritual blessing properly. But they are not in and of themselves what the, what the salat uh, is primarily. In a secondary sense, maybe they are, but primarily that's not what the, 
what the salat is. And a person, whether or not they agree with the fatwa uh, of like, you know, letting someone pray in Farsi or whatever, um, you know, that's a, that's, a, uh, that's a point that I think everybody should and can appreciate. And uh, for that sense, even a person who prays their salat in Arabic from the beginning to the end, if they're not receiving that spiritual uh, uh, faith and uh, outpouring and effluence of the divine grace in their salat, their salat is pointless even if they have good tajweed and they, you know, face the qibla within like, you know, 0.01 variants of, uh, of, of error, etc. Yes. What about like with transliterations? Because you said in Arabic, so does, do you have to sit there and actually like read Arabic script? And then no, I mean, properly. the Salat, nobody reads the Salat from a book, right? Right, but I mean, before you pray, you read mm-hmm. an actual Arabic script, and then you the, go and you pray it. And the, actual transmission of the, the actual transmission of the, 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 the Qur'an and of the, the entire deen is oral. But then, but then, like, in terms of the actual sounds, like, yourself yeah. when you're pronouncing it. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, you could sit there and read a transliteration, and one person will say ita, and another will say ita. Yeah, so, so that that's a commandment. It's a commandment of the of the Sharia that a person is supposed to pronounce the words of the Quran and pronounce the words of the uh, of the of the Salat um, as best as they can. And so it's the same thing. Imagine someone has like, like a lakna in their tongue. They have like a, a like a. a uh, uh, like some sort of impediment in their tongue to be able to pronounce things correctly. Um, plenty of people have those. Many Arabs have them as well. You know, like the, the, there are uh, interesting stories about like orators in the past, somebody who cannot say the letter Ra properly. So they'll say Ra like French people or like like Israelis. You know, like what's his name? Ariel Sharon used to get up and you know talk about the terror and the terrorist, you know? Yeah, right? So like, you know, People had had those things in their in their tongue. That's excused if you can't help it, you know. I mean, I'm not excusing Errol Sharon, but I'm just saying if he, if, <laughs> if he became a Muslim, if he repented and like you know tried to say Sirat al Mustaqim, like you know he can, you know if if in that hypothetical situation he'd be forgiven for that. Why? Because that's something he cannot help. Um, and so again, it comes back to the same issue that like if just because you can't say raw properly doesn't mean that reading the Quran all of a sudden becomes pointless for you. You still receive the blessings of reading it, but if you can say it properly, it's better. There's more blessing in it. There's more reward in it because there's two things. One is the spiritual blessing that you receive for doing something, and the other is a reward you'll receive on the day of judgment. So this is one of the you know like for for example, a person a person uh, um, prays prays and they didn't know that they had wudu, or that they didn't have wudu. Yomul Qiyama, they find out that they didn't have wudu. Allah Ta'ala will still reward them for the prayer because their intention was to pray. They just didn't remember or they, they didn't know that they didn't have wudu. However, in this world, it's quite likely that the prayer will have no beneficial effect on them spiritually. You understand how these two, these two issues are separate. And uh, sometimes people will just focus on one thing and to the exclusion of the other. Whereas the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is to combine between, in your actions, combine between what is best spiritually and physically. What's best inwardly and outwardly, what's best for this world and best for the hereafter. That's the sunnah. That's what we should, that's the type of thinking that we should all have. Because some people are like, well, so-and-so, she doesn't wear hijab, but she's good inside. And so-and-so, she wears hijab and she's a horrible Muslim, right? And it's like, okay, I get the point, you know? It's like putting like, uh, having a beard or putting a piece of cloth on your head doesn't obviate like having bad character. But it should be obvious to everybody why that the sunnah is what they should do both at the same time, that that's superior to all of the other either or cases. So, uh, um, yeah, a person should 
should should do their best and whatever they fall short in, they should A, not feel like they're not getting any benefit and B, uh, legally they're not responsible for it. But if a person is just lazy, they're cheating themselves out of a benefit that they could have had. And what yeah. about Kibla? Like you said, you see, now, to, now you're, now you're, now, now you're asking things that we're, we're not there yet. When we get to that, we'll talk about it in great detail. I thought you did because you said you have to face the right direction. The text. Inshallah, we'll get there. I promise you. And when we do, we'll discuss the issue in such detail, mind-numbing detail, that you'll be like, oh my God, like this is enough, and I'll still keep going. Inshallah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the issue, because if you jump from place to place, then you destroy the rational order of the, of the text, and then you, uh, what ends up happening is you just end up making like a garbled mess of the, of, of the, of the content, uh, uh, rather, than, rather than being able to cover it in a, in a way that makes sense. Uh, so... So لا يجزئ غير هذه الكلمة وترفع يديك يديك حظ المنكي بيني أو دون ذلك. And so the 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 second sunnah has to do with raising a person's hands while they're saying the the takbiratul ihram. Interestingly enough, Abu Hanifa rahimahullah taala he didn't consider the takbiratul ihram to be part of the prayer, and this is another reason that he has a relatively lax uh, uh, opinion of what you can say in order to enter the prayer. And so all the other imams, they consider not only the takbiratul ihram, the opening takbir, the opening Allahu Akbar as part of the prayer, but uh, um, they considered it to be an integral, meaning if you just get up and face the qibla and start saying Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, the prayer is not valid because it, it never even started. You know. Whereas Abu Hanifa, he has a very simple, someone, someone may ask, what's your dalil? Because this seems like a relatively abstruse point that, uh, 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 that like, why is he just making it up? And it has to do with a very simple, uh, a very simple uh, 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 dalil, which is this is one of the uh, um, this is one of the uh, uh, tafsirs of Surah to Sabih Isma Rabbi Kal A'la. So, Qad Aflaha Man Tazakka Wa Dhakar Asma Rabbihi Fasalla. That the person has been successful who uh, purifies themselves, and then they mention the name of their Lord and pray. Uh, that here, one of the tafsirs of وَذَكَرَ اسْمَ رَبِّهِ فَصَلَّى Taking the name of the Lord and, pr- and then praying is to the Allahu Akbar. So the idea is that from the text of the Qur'an itself, it seems that, the, that, that, he, that Allah Ta'ala separates the, the saying of Allahu Akbar from the beginning of the prayer. So this is uh, the whiteboard, mashallah. inshallah, she's playing with it. We can get it next week. But the, the, the mashallah, have fun, inshallah. I was a little hard on you last time, so I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you have this, inshallah. The um, the, uh, the there's two different technical terms with regards to fiqh that the the difference between the two are uh, is a little bit subtle. One is what they call like a rukan or a farida of of an act, which is an integral part of the act, um, and and the other is what they call shart, a condition of an act. Both of them are the same in the sense that the act is not valid without them. The difference between the rukun and the difference between the shart is that the, the rukun is part of the act and the shart is, precedes it. So Abu Hanifa considers the takbiratul ihram not to be part of the salat. He considers it to be condition, precondition of the salat. Meaning, fa meaning one thing will happen after the other, uh, which is grammatically, it's, it's, a, it's very normal use of the, of the letter fa. Uh, uh, whereas the other, the other, uh, uh, um, the other imams say this fa is not for taqib. 
and and this Fasalla doesn't isn't referring to the salat either. So you can tell how these how these issues are genuine ambiguities. It's not like someone doesn't have a delil. It's just that the text is there, and someone may interpret it one way, like very reasonably interpret it one way, and another person may very reasonably uh, interpret it interpret it another. And so it not being part of the prayer. Or it being a, a, a prerequisite or a shart, the condition of the prayer, but not actually part of the prayer, opens the door for some leeway in terms of how it's performed. Whereas if it was part of the prayer, it would be like a fixed ritual performance. Yes? So then, uh, the difference between being part of the prayer and not part of the prayer. Yeah. So it means when, when you sit as, as not being part of the prayer, yeah. once you say it, means you enter in the state of prayer. So Right after it's done. Right after it's done. Yeah. Then, but then... Is, the, is there a minimum um, uh, amount of time that needs to pass or cannot pass before you start prayer? No, it's 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 immediate. It's Once one ends, the other the other other starts. What they call it's a mutasil, right? The the ghaya is mutasila. There's no gap in, in between between one and the other. And that's 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 again that's the Hanafi school. The other schools that they don't uh, you know they consider it to be actually part of the prayer. Yeah, the prayer, the prayer. So then thereafter, it's a sunnah to raise your hands. Um, sunnah to raise your hands when you when you uh, say the Allahu Akbar in the Salat of Fard. This is the only place where raising the hands is agreed upon by all of the Muslims or by all of the Imams, at least of the Ahlus Sunnah. There are some shad opinions of the Khawarij, but we're not going to talk about them because we don't believe that their opinions have basis. But the the idea is that what that a person should raise their hands while they're when they're saying Allahu Akbar, and the the the. Raising of the hands, right, uh, is a symbol of surrender. Like, you know, like you like stick them up. It's a symbol of surrender. So if you look in ancient, uh, ancient iconography, obviously we don't have icons in Islam. But if you look in the iconography of the ancient world, uh, even amongst mushrikeen or the, the statues of old paintings of old, you'll see that this gesture of, 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 uh, of having the hand open is like a gesture of submission. And even, even like, for example, militaries, when you salute, right, every military in the world, except for the American military, when you salute your superior, you salute with, with, with the palm of your hand. Uh, and this is because of an old European military custom that when two armies passed one another, the victorious army saluted with the back of its hand and the, uh, the, the, the army that, that was defeated saluted with the front of their hand as a sign that we're not fighting you anymore, so just let us pass. This is one of the many unique things that Americans think they're special is that you never salute anyone except for with the back of your hand because we're we're number one and all the haters can go uh, go die if they if they hate it. Yeah. yeah, you guys do that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inshallah, we'll, we'll one day there'll be a rematch. We'll see how the Spanish salute. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, in, according to Malik and according to Abu Hanifa ta'ala, the only time you raise your hands in the salat is when you say uh, uh, when you say uh, uh, Allahu Akbar in the in the beginning of the prayer. There is a difference of opinion. Abu, uh, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, they, they they say that the raising of the prayer, or the raising of the hands in the prayer, happens several times. And I'm not here to say whether it's right or wrong, or to uh, you know put one opinion down or the other. Uh, but uh, this is the one place that all the four imams they they agree that this is when a person should a person should raise the hands. So some of the ulama they say that that the the raising of the hands is a gesture of submission. 
uh, and some of them they 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 mention that the that the the raising of the hands is not for what's in front of you but what's behind you that a person it's like they're making ishara they're making a, a gesture that they're pushing their dunya behind them like throwing throwing something behind their behind their back and for that reason it's narrated from the rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam that the hands when they're raised it's anywhere from from here hadwal monkey bane which is like the tips of the finger should be shoulder shoulder length um, all the way to the thumbs being at the shahmal udnain so the, the thumbs being at the, 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 the lobes of the ears, this is the preferred fatwa of uh, Imam Abu Hanifa, and the lower one is the preferred fatwa of Imam Malik and of the, uh, of the mashaykh of the Athari schools. But that's, that's what the, like, that's, a person should think about that when uh, consider that or, 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 or uh, what you call, um, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, that's, at any rate, that's what they should conceive of inside of their, inside of their head when they're, when, they're, when they're doing that, when they're raising their hands. Yes? What's the actual beginning of the prayer, though? Because I've heard people differ. Like some say, make the intention, then give the akama, then give the... The beginning of the prayer is when you say, Allahu Akbar. That's the beginning of the so prayer. So no intention is required? No. The intention, look, intention, there are, there are, the, the intention is something that happens simultaneously with the act of saying Allahu Akbar. But if you just sit here and you're like, I intend to pray in my head, but I'm not doing anything. The prayer doesn't start until you actually say Allahu Akbar. The intention may be simultaneous with it, but it's, it's an act of the heart. It's not an act of the limbs. In terms of fiqh, the fiqh deals with the outward manifestation of these things. And then there's, there's another set of issues which classically we talk about as tasawwuf or tazkiyah for the people who have like an allergy to that word or whatever. The tasawwuf of the sunnah um, is dealing with what's inside of the heart. That's like a, de- a separate dars. It's important. It's part of the deen as well. But in terms of fiqh, what we talk about when you ask what, when does the prayer start? Like if you're like watching with a video camera or whatever, the prayer starts when a person says Allahu Akbar. Um, we're going to get to it. We're not there yet. Yes, inshallah. Absolutely. ثم تقرأ فإن كنت في الصبح قرأت جهرا بأم القرآن ولا تستفتح ببسم الله الرحمن الرحيم في أم القرآن قرآن ولا في السورة التي بعدها. So uh, according to Malik, in the far the prayer, a person a person will uh, a person will after saying Allahu Akbar start Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen without a gap. And there are a number of people who actually came to me and they asked, like, you do this, why do you do this? How come you don't leave a gap in the middle? Um, and so this is the, the, the nas of the books of fiqh. The dalil for it is a, a, a hadith that's narrated in the Muwatta of Imam Malik, and it's also narrated in Sahih Bukhari amongst other books. That that's what the Messenger of Allah used to do. Now, this is an issue that we mentioned in weeks previous, that oftentimes someone might say, well, there's another hadith in which it says that the Prophet said Allahu Akbar, and then he read another dua, and then he would, he would start the Fatiha. And uh, I'm the first one to accept that those hadiths, they do exist. And um, so this is an issue that we talked about last week, that when you have ta'arud al-athar and akhbar, when you have different narrations that seem to indicate like different things, each of the different madhabs has a different way of making tarjih, of making, um, of, of giving priority of one report over the other, and of, of giving preference of one thing over the other. So none of the imams say that, 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 that the prayer is invalid if you do it the other way. Malik doesn't say that the prayer is invalid if you read a dua between Allahu Akbar and between Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Nor do the other imams say that the prayer is invalid if you don't read a dua in the middle. It's just a mild preference. 
Uh, however, how is that preference arrived at? According to Malik, the preference is arrived at by looking at what the amal is. In the age of the, the, the tabi'in, in the age of the, the successors to the companions, Malik would see, is there something that I see like all the masajid that people are doing? And if, there, if it is the amal, the, the ta'amal or the, the, the custom of the people of Medina is universally on one thing, then he'll say this is a proof that this, uh, this hadith takes priority over the other ones. And so that's what he saw that, that the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ and the other masajid, uh, oftentimes the imams of these masajid were actually the children of the sahaba radiallahu anhum. If all of them agree on, on a particular practice, like they, they all would, for example, say Allahu Akbar and say Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, then he considered this to be a, a, a proof that this method is superior to the other methods. Whereas Imam Shafi'i has a more hadith-based approach that which hadith is narrated through more chains or through better change it's a completely different way of looking at the uh, at the issue but a person can see some sort of logic or reasoning in, in, in both of them and then prefer one you know the, whoever the one type of reasoning appeals to them more than the other then that's why the the, the Muslims t- generally tolerated these types of differences of opinion so this comes to the question then the other hadiths that say that the Prophet did those things what what does that even mean so Malik rahimahullah ta'ala would say that those hadiths refer to the 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 uh, um, the nafil prayers of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is true, uh, it, it, uh, in 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 the sense that there are many hadiths, it's not narrated like Say, Sayyidina Abdul, Abdullah bin Abbas radiAllahu anhu when he was a kid, like literally like the what, what's your daughter's name? Nur al Huda. That's like a very heavy name for 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 a little kid, mashallah. We'll just say Nur for now. So like it's like he was Abdullah bin Abbas radiAllahu anhu. Inshallah, make her Nur al Huda. He uh, 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 he was like this age, and he spent the night with his aunt Maimuna. She was his khala. Right, Umul Fadl, the mother of Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhuma, was the sister of Maymuna, the Umm uh, Mu'minin. So he just went to spend the night at his khala's house, and the Prophet sallam, it was his turn to stay the night with her, because she was married to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And so uh, uh, he mentions that like the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam woke up, and I prayed with him, and he describes the prayer in a great amount of detail. And uh, but he describes the, so many extra du'as that a person usually doesn't read in the in the normal salat. And he mentions the prayer was so long that the Prophet ﷺ went into sajda. And as a little kid, like, I wonder, is he still alive? You know, because he's in sajda for so long. Uh, and so Malik rahimahullah ta'ala, if, you know, asked, okay, well, why is it that this hadith is, is a sahih hadith? It's a correct hadith. Nobody disputes its correctness. Why is it that, that nobody acts on it? And so maybe, maybe this is something that's for the, for the, uh, for the nafil prayer, the extra prayers, and not for the farth. Yes? Is there actually reasoning behind the dua? Because people say when you're praying, it prevents you from sinning. So how could shaitan get you if you're saying, oh, I mean, when you say, why do you need to say that if you're actually praying? So when you ask for something in the prayer, is the, is the dua only for when you're in the prayer or is it for, uh, for other times as well? That's the, whole, the whole concept of prayer is what? Is that a person goes? It's actually it's written in in, in the, the the chapter with regards to wudu. Is al musalli yunaji rabbahu faalehi an yata'ahab that this is your appointment with the Lord because the prayer who, the person who's praying munaja is to like to ha- speak to somebody up close that the person who is praying is like speaking and coming into the, the, the proximity of the divine presence and speaking up close right. So when you ask for a'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajim okay, you're probably not going to be robbing a liquor store while you're doing your four rakahs, right? Right? Yeah. But you're not just asking for that time. 
you're asking for the other times that you're not there. It's like, imagine you have an appointment tomorrow with Donald Trump. You know, you and Jared Kushner went to like elementary school together. And so he's like, you know, hey, you're a bang up guy. You're a terrific guy. You're wonderful. You know, I'm a big fan of Muslim or whatever. And you, you tell me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. You're not going to just ask for a cup of tea. You're going to ask for something you might need tomorrow and next year and the day. You know what I mean? So, and if that's, that's uh, you know, the, the, the orange-haired uh, ma- maniac, then imagine the Rabb Tabarak wa Ta'ala. You make du'as for things in the prayer, but they're not just for while you're in the prayer. They're for, for, for the whole, your dunya and your akhirah. Someone had a question? No? Okay. So, uh, he, says, he, says that you, he says that you just go from Allahu Akbar walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. The other imams, they dissent with Malik rahimahullah ta'ala in this matter. And they consider it to be a sunnah based on a number of different athar, a number of different riwayat. There is a, there is, obviously there's a solid riwayat that says that the Prophet ﷺ just went from Allahu Akbar to Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. But there are a number of other athar that the Prophet ﷺ would read a particular dua between Allahu Akbar and between Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. And so, uh, and it's not even one, one particular dua, but it's a number of them. So one of them, which is usually taught to us in the Indian subcontinent, is uh, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa tabarakasmuka wa taala jadduka wa la ilaha ghayruk. Uh, 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 oh Allah, glory be to you, and to you be praised, uh, and uh, blessed uh, is your name, uh, and and uh, uh, transcendent is your uh, is your is your fortune, uh, uh, and there is no god except for you. Um, and then there's a longer one. Which is like, uh, which I, I, I remember reading uh, uh, from one of the Shafi'i Mashaykh when I sat in his halaqa of Shafi'i Fiqh. Uh, uh, this is actually longer than most people even like know Quran. <laughs> It's like longer than the Fatiha, maybe, you know? Uh, so obviously not everyone's going to be able to do that. I find it's like a little funny story in the middle. I remember I came from Mauritania to the Emirates. So Mauritania, they're all Malikis. Just, Allahu Akbar, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. They have like really like dry Bedouin style of recitation, which it, it has its own, uh, it has its own uh, charm in it as well. So I went from that to like the Emirates. So I remember there was an Azhari Shafi'i uh, Sheikh who was an imam in a, in a masjid in Al-Ain. This is like way back in the day, you know. Uh, Emirates has changed a lot since then. Um, uh, uh, I, there was a Shafi'i Sheikh in the masjid, and it was Maghrib. And so it's Allahu Akbar. And Allah forgive me, you know, uh, mindlessly I just started reading the Fatiha. And I was already done with the Fatiha, and I started with like the next surah. <laughs> and then he's like, Bismillah. And I'm like, oh my goodness, he's not even, he hasn't even started the Fatiha yet. <laughs> this is going to be a long prayer. <laughs> So, Abdullah, there's khair, there's khair. Obviously, those are not very sheikh-like uh, thoughts to have, but uh, you know, uh, we're we're all. Everyone is a work in progress. We're all we're all working on it. So, the fatwa of Malik is in the fard prayer that 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 uh, you go straight to the fatiha. But that being said, in the nawafil, in the tahajjud, and things like that, then we see the mashaykh doing these things as well. And whatever happens, one way or the other, you know, whatever happens, one way or the other. If a person reads it, there's like not like they they did something bad. You know, these are just mild preferences, uh, one way or the other. And the Prophet ﷺ also, he didn't do the same thing every single time. So there's a hikmah also that Allah Ta'ala preserves these different sunan in the ummah through, uh, uh, through this uh, very interesting mechanism. So, so what we can do then is we can alternate, right? So, uh, if you want to. One day you 
If you want to, if you want to, uh, um, if you want to, you can do that. Although, generally speaking, then once a student of knowledge studies for a, a, a while, then they actually start to have a particular preference. It makes sense that this should be correct. So that person, I don't think it's good for them to alternate. They should always do what they think is best while not being so arrogant as to think I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Yeah, but but there's no if you, if a certain thing appeals to you, then you can stick to it. There's there's nothing wrong with that. And so he says he says that. فإذا قلت ولد ضالين فقل آمين إن كنت وحدك أو خلف إمام وتخفيها ولا تقولها الإمام فيما جهر فيه ويقولها فيما أسر فيه وفي قوله إياها في الجهر اختلاف. So then he says that when a person is done with the Fatiha, Amin, obviously it's not part of the Fatiha. But it's a Sunnah to say it after the, after, after the Fatiha is done. And um, let's make sure we don't spill into the Salat time. It's a Sunnah to say, what time is the Iqamah by the way? Nine? Uh, no, the, 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 so the Iqamah is like, at, like, like okay, okay. So we'll... Okay, eight fifty. Okay, so we'll just we'll just take this last masala and then we'll 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 open it up for questions, um, because Adam has been very patient with me and I don't want to I don't want to disappoint him. Mashallah. Alhamdulillah. Um, I really I see that this is one thing also like I, in the old days people used to spend dedicate significant amounts of time to these things. Um, and now they spend so little time You just have to get through the material Otherwise if you're going to come to class Like six hours a day every day For the next like ten years Then we'll There's so much mind-boggling detail In answer to every question It's And it's sometimes it Really it's a, it's an amazing like show of force uh, Of how how much Allah Ta'ala, His promise of inna nahnu nazalna dhikra wa inna lahu lahafidhun that we uh, sent down this remembrance and we're the ones who protect it. It's just mind-boggling how the degree to which it's preserved in, in such a detail, uh, uh, inwardly and outwardly. So it's not a part of the Fatiha to say Amin when you're done uh, with it, but it is a sunnah. It's one of the customs that, that when the Fatiha is done that Amin should be said. But the ulama had differ, have difference of opinion of how it should be said. And so Imam al-Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, they consider that it's a sunnah to be, that the amin should be said out loud. And the imam says, and the masjid then rings with the sound of amin. If you tried doing that in Pakistan, someone will probably slap you, uh, which is not good. That's not part of the Hanafi fiqh, but you'll probably get smacked nonetheless on the back of your head and possibly even in Mauritania for that matter, uh, especially in the pre-modern era. And so... Uh, the, the proof of the Hanabila and the Shafi'iyah is a hadith that's narrated in a number of books, including the Muwatta of Imam Malik, that whoever, when, uh, whenever, the, um, whenever the Fatiha is read, the, the angels themselves say, Amin. وَمَنْ وَافَقَ تَأْمِينُهُ تَأْمِينَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ ذَنْبِهِ وَكَمَا قَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ That the person who, who, when the angels say, Amin, the person who's Amin uh, is at the same time as the angels or is in accordance to that of the angels, that person, their sins will be forgiven. Because the angels, when they say Amin, that's, uh, 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 that's, that's like a blessed time. Whoever says the Amin at that time, the barakah of it is that, the, the, that Allah Ta'ala will forgive them their sins because of that. Now, Malik and Abu Hanifa, both their fatwa was that the Amin is said quietly. It's said, but it's said quietly. 
And uh, the, the uh, proof for that is what? Uh, if nothing else, then that nobody used to do it in the Jama'at of Medina during the time of the Salaf. And furthermore, even the hadith, because the thing is people read a hadith and they think it means one thing, and it may actually mean the thing they think it means, but it's possible that it means something else and they don't, don't ever consider it, right? So this is one of the things one of our teachers told us when we were studying hadith about this uh, hadith of whoever's amin is in accordance, right? muwafaqa means for one thing to be in accordance to the other, right? How many here have ever heard an angel say amin before? Angel? Yeah. Maybe Sheikh Abdul Rahman because he's like more pious than most people, but the rest of us haven't haven't heard it before, right? Something or the, right? Nobody's heard an angel say Amin. This is the deal that the angels their own Amin is quiet. So wifaq would mean that what you should say it quietly like they do. Allah knows best, or it means the other thing, right? But it's you know people will oftentimes hear this hadith and they'll be like, oh look, the Hanafis don't make Amalan hadith, the Malikis don't make Amalan. It's not like it's not really that simple. Um, there's, there's a little bit more detail to it So the fatwa in the Maliki school is what? Is that there's three conditions that a person may be praying in One is that they're praying alone In which case they should read the fatiha And then say amin as well The second case is if you're imam In which case you should read the fatiha And then you don't say anything else And then the third case is that you're following the imam In which case the imam reads the fatiha And then you, then you say amin but even in that situation, a person, the fatwa of Malik and Abu Hanifa is that the Amin should say, be said quietly. And the other, the two other, the Athari Madhabs of Abu, uh, the Athari Madhabs of Shafi'i and Imam Ahmad, they dissented with that uh, based on the, uh, the proofs that we put forward and other proofs undoubtedly as well. Uh, but uh, that's just uh, uh, the beginning of the Salat. Inshallah, we'll continue next week. Wa sallallahu ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.